11 to 1. Monday motivation. Motivation. Yes, I've been discussing this wonderful woman and her wonderful book since the start of the show. She is a clinical psychologist. She's a professor in Oxford University as well. And uh, she's an expert in dealing with people that are going through trauma. But she has written a book. It's called Be Extraordinary. And uh, she's discovered a life changing formula that will lead you on the path to being extraordinary, even when you encounter setbacks along the way. And I think it's so appropriate that she's joining us today as we face so much uncertainty uncertainty and great challenges ahead on a global scale. Dr. Jennifer, you're so welcome to 11 to 1. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning. It's, I'm well, thank you. It's so, so great to have you. And I should point out that we booked our chat a couple of weeks ago, little knowing what was going to happen. And it sounds like you're across the hall from me, but you're in the UK. Isn't that right? That's right. I'm just outside of Oxford. Tell me a little bit firstly about yourself. You're a clinical psychologist, professor at Oxford, and a huge focus of your your work is on how people overcome huge adversity. Your research has covered post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma in relation to events such as tsunamis, the Chilean mining disaster, uh, Boston bombings. You've dealt with people in those sort of situations. Yes, I have. So I, I work with people to overcome uh, very traumatic events. And so some of the events they will have survived would have been the tsunami, for example, uh, in Thailand. Um, but other really horrible events as well that haven't gained so much public or media attention, um, such as car accidents, um, medical misdiagnoses, um, um, physical or sexual assault as well. And I, I think I've noticed something really remarkable in my work with people. So normally when we go through really challenging and difficult events, and we all will go through a challenging or difficult event in our life, a trauma, um, 80% of us will experience a trauma and, and bereavement would be considered a trauma. And most mm. of us will have a bereavement at some point. Um, and certainly what we're going through now uh, is classed as stressful, isn't it, with coronavirus. Yeah. But I have noticed that um, there are three typical outcomes. So some people will go through and they'll, they'll just pick themselves up afterwards and just get on with their life as if, um, you know, it's just a, a, an event in their life that they just uh, incorporate into their everyday living and they just carry on as normal. Um, other people... Um, you know, they will develop symptoms of PTSD and then this can become a problem and then they'll, um, which is normal and understandable, and then they'll need a, a little bit of help. Most people recover from PTSD with a little bit of um, uh, trauma-focused therapy. And then there's a very interesting um, third group of people. And these are people who, when they go through a difficult event or a trauma, they actually uh, come out the other side and they thrive, they flourish, and they make changes to their life that they otherwise wouldn't have made and they begin to lead a life that's really rather extraordinary. And it got me thinking, you know, when we go through these momentous occasions in life, it gives us an opportunity to take ba- take a step back, reflect on our life and make big extraordinary changes. And I started to think, what if we could just make these changes to our everyday life to lead an extraordinary life without having to have trauma as a catalyst for change? And that was really the motivation for the book. 
Yeah, because a lot of what you're touching on there, we we experience here in our Monday Motivation guests. A lot of them will have come through like that, a very uh, traumatic experience. Like there's one guy who went blind and then he went paralysed. Mark Pollock, of course, a lot of people know him. A woman who found herself homeless um, and pregnant at the age of 13. You know, these are huge, huge, huge adversities. And, uh, you know, so a lot of the what they will say time and time again, and it's something that I bang on about an awful lot on this show, is they go back to visualisation and I say to them, you know, what got you through this? And they'll say, oh, I visualised myself out of this. I kept visualising myself out of it. And interestingly, this is where your book begins in the state of visualisation. Isn't that right? Yep. So the very first chapter is called Vision and it's about having a vision for your life, but not just about having a vision of what you want to achieve in life, but also the the images that you carry in your mind's eye and how you see yourself. And, you know, um, many of us are not aware of these images that we have about ourselves. And it's really getting to the, the meaning of our, of our self-doubts and then updating the, the worst meanings of ourselves and creating much more constructive, proactive, positive images of ourselves and how we want to lead our lives that captures our best meaning. And then creating a, a plan and, and really, you know, all of the people in this book who've been through a challenging traumatic event and have gone on to do incredibly extraordinary things in their life um, and uh, in, in ways that are really admirable, they had a very detailed plan. They made a plan. Life didn't just happen to them. They, they actually created a plan on how to achieve their goals. And so that first chapter is about how do you make a plan and, and how do you stick to it when the mm. going gets tough? And it really gives some tools for doing that. Yeah, because right now we're in a very, very challenging time. You know, there's an awful lot of fear and anxiety around COVID-19. You know, so it can be challenging to visualise our way out of this. I find, though, and I know you touch on this in the book as well, to kind of gear you into this. If you think back over moments of achievement or moments where you were really happy and relive those moments first, it can get you into a better headspace, can't it? It can certainly get you into a better headspace, but I think it's also really important to look at what those moments of achievement say about you as a person. So, you know, in in leading the job that you lead and looking after your family and all of those kinds of achievements, of course, if you've gone to college and you have a degree, like that's an achievement or even like being able to, you know, conquer crippling self-doubt and teach or learn to drive, that's an achievement. And instead of thinking about, you know, what we would call failure experiences, not getting um, an interview for a job that you had applied for in the past or something like that, um, where we would then interpret that to say something about ourselves and to reinforce our self-doubt. If we can actually spot our achievements and look at their best meaning, what does the fact that I have a degree, that I'm looking after a family, and that I'm still working at home even though you know COVID-19 is going on, what does that say about me as a person? And you know, somebody might conclude, well, it means I'm resilient, mm-hmm. I have what it takes, I'm a good problem solver, And then when we come across any setback in life, we can think, well, if I fully believe that I'm resilient, I'm a problem solver and I have what it takes, how would I approach this situation? And then it just gives us a different perspective to engage in more proactive decision making and problem solving and a degree of confidence that can really carry us forward in next steps and in in what we want to achieve in life. One of the things, absolutely, and one of the things that struck me as well about the early chapters in in the book as well is you do a great, um, I suppose, analogy to explain this. You describe a scenario where we've all experienced Experience, I would say, where we're in bed and we hear, we might be alone in the house and it's night time and we hear the floorboards creaking. And immediately, an awful lot of us will think, oh my God, there's somebody in the house. 
instead of the other. You know, this is the idea of getting rid of negative uh, thoughts. Can you tell us about that analogy, first of all, because it's very clever. Yes, of course. So the analogy, and it's certainly something that has happened to me as well. Um, lying, you're lying in bed at night. And this, re- this really shows the power of the images we hold in our mind's eye. So if you're lying in bed at night and you hear a noise, and then if you then picture in your mind's eye that there's a thug making his way through your house, coming up the stairs or going from room to room, your anxiety is instantly going to increase. But instead, if when you're lying in bed at night, if you hear a noise, some of us will imagine, oh, that's just my cat. She's knocked over um, the biscuits in the kitchen and, and may laugh at, um, as they imagine her, you know, in her nocturnal explorations. And they'll have a much lower sense of anxiety in that moment because of the pictures they hold in our mind's eye. And so it's really underscoring the importance of the images we choose to hold in our minds and to be aware of them because we're often not aware of them. But if we can be aware of the images we hold about ourselves, those visual pictures we have in our mind's eye, and to change them, we can either reduce anxiety and increase confidence. Um, I think, you know, another good example came out of um, some research that was conducted in a a lab that I used to work in in London. Mm. And this this, um, researcher, Colette Hirsch, had her had people um, who were a little bit socially anxious to hold a positive image in mind of how they were coming across and to have a conversation and and in the next conversation to hold a, a more negative image. And for other um, people, she had them hold the negative image first and then the positive image and to have a conversation with a stranger. The conversations were video recorded and then somebody who had no idea what pictures were being held in these people's mind's eyes rated the conversations on video. And what they discovered was that when people were holding more negative images in their mind's eye, and what I mean by negative image in this context was they would picture themselves sweating or shaking or running out of things to say. The person who was rating the the video recording of the conversation actually rated them as coming across as more anxious. Mm. Um, but when they held a more positive image in mind, they were rated as more confident. And that person had no idea what this person was holding in their mind's eye. So it really underscores the power of our mental images. And then I think the, the, the chapter also makes the point, you know, athletes have been doing this for years. Oh, this is great. Yeah, because yeah. you, you use the example of Jessica Ennis. And uh, a lot of people would, um, you know, when you hear athletes, you know, and their, their plan, their preparation um, before races, obviously they're putting in the physical preparation, but there's so much mental preparation that athletes, everybody from, you know, say athletes to even people playing fo- uh, for football, rugby, any sort of sport, they all go through this don't they yeah they absolutely do and you know there is some theory to say that what makes one athlete outperform another are the mental pictures they hold in their mind's eye and so they they really practice they they call an image to mind of succeeding and they will practice in their mind's eye um, crossing the finish line or um, doing a particular golf shot or rock climbing. So it's very common among rock climbers to go over and over the maneuvers in their mind's eye before they rock climb. And again, Wayne Rooney, before he took a shot, he would practice the night before going over what a winning shot would look like, what it would feel like, what his body would need to do to get a drop goal. That's Yeah, that's incredible. I didn't realise that he was on this kind of wavelength as well, Wayne Rooney. So that, that's really cool that, that he does that as well. Um, you know, you, so you go through these seven processes, as I say, the, the first one being visualisation, but there's not enough to just visualise. There's a lot more involved. Can you kind of go through some of the other uh, key things that people who suffered great adversity go through uh, and go on to lead uh, extraordinary lives? 
Sure. So um, the next um, skill is called fluid memory. And this is about um, creating, um, making sure that our memories um, are fluid to some degree so that we don't have these uh, stressful events just like standing out in our minds like a flashbulb memory, but they're much more integrated into our life story. And we can do this by um, what we call updating. So updating the worst meaning of a memory. So people who go through challenging circumstances, um, they don't um, forget about what they've been through. Um, of course, they've been through something challenging, but what they do to get through it is to update the meaning. So they don't change the facts of what happened, they update the meaning. And so we can apply this principle to any event that we go through. It doesn't have to be a traumatic event. It can be a disappointing event, like being missed out for promotion, for example. And if we can just update the worst meaning of that event. And um, so fluid memory talks about how you update meanings of difficult events, but also importantly takes you through another tool, which is um, how to break the links between the present and the past. So often when we're in a situation um, where we need to be confident, for example, and we're reminded of um, previous um, experiences where we perhaps were filled with self-doubt, those feelings of self-doubt may come back again. And so we really need to unhook the present from the past. And so there's a tool in there called Then Versus Now, and the chapter teaches you how to use Then Versus Now. So you can live your life today totally unencumbered by any past experiences of self-doubt or any other difficult um, events from the past. So that's fluid memory. And then the next chapter is focus. So that's really about how to focus our attention um, even when we are tempted with distraction. So people who go on to achieve extraordinary lives really learn to focus their attention. They have to because they've come to realize that their tomorrows may not be their todays. Mm -hmm. And so they use their time very efficiently. And so that chapter is really about how to focus your attention. But it's also about how to, to overcome self-focused attention. And self-focused attention is when our attention has gone inwards and we're very focused on our feelings or sensations in our bodies or our worries and when we're doing that, we're much more likely to feel anxious and unproductive. So it's and I'd say a lot getting... of people are doing that now as we speak as well, Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's um, very easy during COVID-19 to actually self-monitor and check your body for signs of illness, of course. Um, but that's only going to make people feel more anxious. And it's important to get our attention out of our head and into the task at hand. So focus is about that. Extraordinary behaviors is the next chapter. And that runs through... Uh, quite, um, well, four key extraordinary behaviors. But importantly, that chapter is really about overcoming avoidance and how to mm. successfully overcome avoidance. And there's a lot of really good tools in that chapter to do that. A lot of people the who next, pres procrastinate about things, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really good tips in there. And then um, there's extraordinary thinking, which um, has a lot of tips on the kind of language we use to, to, when in our self-talk, but also um, how to kick overthinking and dwelling. So overthinking and dwelling, the, the kinds of processes that keep us in our head, may, they make us unproductive and they, they dampen our mood and make us feel low. So it's also about how to cut overthinking and stop catastrophizing worst case scenarios. That's that chapter. And then there's um, determination um, is the penultimate chapter, chapter six, and that's about how to stay determined. So um, we know that motivation often gets us going with our life goals and, and dreams that we want to start, but it's determination that keeps us going. So how do, how do you maintain um, determination and momentum in the long run? 
um, when some of our dreams and plans will take, you know, they may take five years to Mm. come to fruition and how do we keep going till then? And then finally, the last chapter is called Cultivating Happiness. And that's about um, enjoying your life um, before you get to the end of it, before you you reach your achievements. How do you cultivate happiness? Um, And we also know that when we are happy, we're much more able to make decisions more effectively, to problem solve and to achieve goals. So it's actually really important to foster a sense of happiness and cultivating happiness is all about how you can do that no matter what's going on in your life. Absolutely because there's no point in kind of going oh I can't wait till the next till the thing actually happens enjoy the moment absolutely Um, but you know in the midst of all this going on right now uh, and you've you've touched on so many many things there but if you wanted us to take just one thing on board today about uh, what you're saying what would you like us to take on board in the midst of all this uncertainty that we're living through at the minute? Well, uncertainty can certainly um, raise anxiety. And when we're feeling anxious, we're much more likely to be in our heads and overthinking and worrying. And worrying is a form of overthinking. And it's just going to make us feel down and blue and less likely to spot our dreams and take steps to achieve them. So the one thing I would like your listeners to take away from this is to um, spot overthinking and to get out of your head, just to get out of your head as much as possible. When you spot that you're worried or you're overthinking something, Um, that's a sign you're in your head and you're not in the task at hand. So as soon as you spot that you're overthinking a worry or a a problem from the past, just recognize that that's that's thinking too much and that to shift your focus of attention to the task at hand and you'll feel more productive and happier as a result. And there are much more, many more tools in the book that actually teach you and, and guide you through disengaging from overthinking. Absolutely. I downloaded the book myself over the weekend to the Kindle and I was gripped by it so much so I think I turned off the light at about one o'clock last night but it'll definitely be keeping going with it that is for sure. Dr Jennifer thank you so much for chatting us to, to, with us today. I know you're incredibly busy right now. Lots of great advice there. Uh, keep safe and thanks a million for joining me on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sinead. Not Thank at you. all, not at all. Be Extraordinary is the book. You can get it on Amazon. It's in good bookshops as well. You can buy it directly from beextraordinarybook.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.